My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 196. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If this is your first time, welcome to the fam. Audio episodes like this go out every single Monday and you can head over to LegallyCluelessAfrica.com to watch our video series, our tour series and sign up to join our community. So two things I'm working on that are very exciting. One is the next letter from me that goes out to our community and if you sign up right now on LegallyCluelessAfrica.com, what the letter has is a prelude of our final 2022 audio episode. So that letter goes out this week. If you've already signed up, be on the lookout for that letter. It's coming your way in a couple of days. The other thing I'm working on that is super exciting is a calendar of our events for 2023. I'm really excited about it because I really want to center wellness in the Legally Clueless Africa events and make sure that when you come to any of our events, you leave fuller. So I roped in some of the things that have worked for me, like aerial hoop classes. So we're going to have three aerial hoop classes, group classes next year. When? That's going to be on the calendar. I've also roped in my therapist, which is super awesome. So we're working on six group sessions next year that will be speaking to themes that have come up in this podcast And I'm really excited that she's down for it. So once I figure all of the events out, those are just two, but there's definitely going to be yoga, two other things that I'm super excited about, but I don't want to say so that I don't jinx them. So once I am done with the calendar, that will go up on our website and to our registered community members, just so that you can plan your year. And we're giving you ample notice to know, okay, on the last Saturday of March, There's a group aerial hoop class that I'd love to attend, you know? So you just plan yourself and you know what's coming up. I'm so excited about it, my goodness. Anyway, head over to LegallyCluelessAfrica.com and sign up. I'm really excited about this episode because the story coincides with issues I'm navigating. Issues around fatherhood and daddy issues. So this is a story that's coming up. The one time I saw my dad the most broken was when my grandfather died, his, his father. Like we saw him break down. He was on the floor. He was wailing. He was the loudest crying. And it wasn't for sure. You know, of course, in a, in a community, you know how it is during funerals, professional mourners. But it had nothing to do with that because that was his father. We did the test on Christmas Day. I, I already suspected. I was like, ah, they'd be pregnant. Man, I know your cycle. This time you're, you're definitely pregnant. So so we did we did a home birth her labor was 30 hours it was quite long and it was so long that there was so much tension built inside inside me that when the baby came out like this i just i let everything out i could not hold anything back i was literally on the floor wailing like my wife was looking at me like a mad <laughs> that's a story by polycup from the amazing kenyan boy band saudi soul he's an amazing musician and a friend it was just awesome having him come through and just talk about fatherhood and oof, i can't wait for you to listen to that story but before we get there the song of the week i have a feeling i've shared this song before or a song by sir because i'm such a fan of his i just think he has the most amazing voice my gateway (laughs) why am i talking about him like he's a drug my gateway drug but my gateway song into knowing more about sir the evil i feel like i've said it like such a super bougie person but honestly like it's it's such a good song regardless of how i've said it it always reminds me of the first ever solo writing trip i took because i wrote so much poetry while listening to his music specifically that song so this week that's the song i want you to check out it's also a week that i'm doing a lot of writing so i think it works i've put a link to it in the show notes there's also a link to our first ever legally clueless africa playlist sheer butter on melanin Oof, I really like it. I like stream that playlist all the time. Make sure you check it out. Okay, I don't want to talk too much because Polycup's story is long and I didn't want to split it. But I will share why I think it's such an important story and why I went back to it. It's because I'm back to unpacking my daddy issues. Honestly, before I thought I only had one specific issue around anger, which was, you know, I fear confrontation and anger because my dad only communicated it as either 
there was no anger or he's physically abusive. So when I get angry, I cry because I just feel the emotion is overwhelming and I don't know what to do with it and I don't know how to communicate it. My dad, first of all, my dad's name was Richard. And I say was because my dad passed away in 2007. I actually found and framed his death announcement. You know, like when somebody dies, they make an announcement in the newspapers for people to know. And I had stuck it on the back so many years ago. Like this is probably, wait, 2007 is how many years ago? Guys, I'm bad in math. I'm actually going to have to pull up my calculator. Wow. 15 years ago. Okay, so 15 years ago, I cut up the announcement in the newspaper because by the time he died, him and my mom had been divorced for years. So I couldn't, I didn't really have anything else of his. And I stuck it on the back of one of my favorite frames that <laughs> my high school sweetheart bought me. And the reason I stuck it on the back of the frame and not in the frame is because I wasn't sure where my relationship with his him was. And I, I, yeah, I knew I wanted to hold on to it, but I didn't want to see it. So I stuck it on the back and I literally just moved it to the front of the frame a couple of weeks ago this year. So probably like what, September? And so I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, so my dad died and what I would normally do and I think I said this two episodes ago is focus on like good moments we had so he really loved tickling me when he got home from work and when he wasn't drunk I loved going shopping with my dad because I could always manipulate him into buying me candy and like the biggest size chocolates and now looking back I feel like he's not an idiot so he knew when I was there like oh this is the only size there he definitely knew but he just let me get away with it and then I also remember this one time he came home with this hideous silver waistcoat it was the ugliest like to date I don't think I've seen anything as ugly as that and he was so excited he thought he'd bought this posh hip thing for me and I was just like yeah I'm never wearing that (laughs) but obviously I had to pretend and be like oh it's so wonderful it goes with my jeans <laughs> and I really didn't. So I didn't realize that what I was doing over the years is exaggerating these good experiences to kind of whitewash his abuse. My dad was really physically abusive with my mom. And what's crazy is across years of therapy and even recently, you know, adding a second therapist, I've realized I only remember the final fights. No matter how hard I try, it's like my mind has locked up all the other fights. I knew and know they happened quite frequently, but I can only remember the final fight. And I remember my dad chasing my mom around the house, like outside the house, beating her so much inside the house that she ran outside to get away from him and she was running around the house and he was like chasing her. What I struggle to remember is I know he had something in his hand, like a weapon, but I don't know if it was a knife or had he just picked something from the house. I can't see it. And that's the last, so sad, but that's like the last image I have of my dad. You know, we moved out the next day. And so what happened thanks to therapy, understanding this is like being around that abuse and seeing this like injured and wounded my inner child and how that then came out in relationships is I would get into relationships so looking for safety and not in the way adults look for safety but in the way a wounded child would which is not healthy at all and I'd find that as much as then I'm in a relationship with somebody I give them the role of like a father and then the more my inner child heals the more now I want a partner but they've gotten accustomed to not being a partner but being more of a father figure it sounds weird but like it makes sense those of you with daddy issues I think you can you can relate (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And only now do I feel like my inner child is like super healed. And I feel like I look for a partner, not a variation of my dad. You know, we joke about daddy issues, but they can cause a lot of shit. And what's crazy is I was in class five when we left my dad. And so what, I was like 10, 11, maybe? I lived more of my life away from him, but Still, no matter how small your interaction was with your dad, like if it was in such a way that it will wound your inner child, there will be impact and there will be stuff for you to navigate and heal, you know? But now that I'm here, I thought this is the best time to bring this story by Polycarp from Saudi Soul. He talks about his relationship with his dad, African dad and son. That is another unpacking that... (laughs) 
<laughs> we really need to do as a people. And he also talks about now that he has a son, how has his relationship with his dad affected him as a father? Oh, it's a good story. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. I remember when, when my dad was retrenched from his job of, I think, maybe 14 years. He used to work at Philips. And they just had like a mass uh, retrenchment. Um, and they're all released. So during that time, uh, my dad was the main breadwinner of, of the home. And he was very key on, on education. So he used to take us to schools that he would barely afford. <laughs> but in his head, those are the best schools. And that's because he wants to give us the best education. And now when he was retrenched, he was so... Like, he got to a point where I saw a lot of sadness in him. And I had never seen that side of him before. And he still really tried his level best to make sure that we continue going to school. Because uh, we used to be chased from school because of school fees so many times uh, during this period now. And he was, I was a candidate, actually. I was in class eight, I believe, when this, when this happened. And I saw a big big shift in, in how he started behaving even at home. So because he was now the one who was at home the most, and my mom now had to step up in a way, but she had to be now the one to, you know, really dig dig deep and try and get, uh, just, yeah, for us to just survive, you know, day, day to day. And she was out from, let's say, eight in the morning. She used to go to Gikomba to sell clothes. And she'd come back so tired in the evening. And my dad has been home also trying to get jobs, uh, looking for jobs elsewhere, trying to get small contracts, which are not also su successful. But then with that, I saw now a side of even just a man in general, because I'd not seen a man dive so deep into doing household work, you know, because at this point, my mom was not, you know, at home. And very small, well, small things, but a big, big impact. So, for example, because I was a candidate, actually I was in Form 3, my brother was a candidate at class eight and I was in form three. And I mean, you know how 844, well, 844 then was, <laughs> form three was like the most stressful year in, in your four years in, 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 uh, in, in high school. And he was really keen on education. So he picked up small things. For example, I went to Strathmore High School and we lived in Karibangi South. That is quite a distance <laughs> for a student to go to school. So I used to wake up at... 4.30, not to study, to get ready, to be in school by 7.30 a.m. And with that, I come back home sometimes 7 p.m. So it's a whole 12 hours of, you know, craziness. And I get home, I'm tired, maybe I have exams, I have to study still, I have to maybe sleep early, wake up at 3 to study. And he will now decide to, you know, pick up things like wash our shirts, for example. Make sure that there's some sort of food ready. Uh, before even mom comes home. And this is something that I had never, ever seen. In, even just in the household setting, a man taking that role. And it was a big shift in, in, my, in my thinking as well as a, as a young man. And I was like, oh, so this, this is, is actually right, that this can happen. It doesn't have to be the way society says it, it is. So that was a big, big shift in, in, in my mind. And I, I told him the other day, actually, and he didn't realize, he didn't even know that it had a big impact in me. Because even now in my older age, I pick up these roles in the, in the house without thinking that I'm being emasculated as a man. Yeah, so that was very impactful for me. There's a time he, so he's, I mean, that generation of parents, they were not, their presence was not very emotional. So the one time or the few times that he was actually emotional, emotionally present, it was quite, I was quite taken aback, but still loving it. So I was like, oh, wow, this feels good. Um, and there's this one time that he took me for a walk. We used to live in Karibangi South. And so he took me for a walk from Karibangi South until just past Umoja, which is like maybe one way could be four kilometers or something, and then coming back. And it was so nice, it was so surreal. There was not there are not too many, you know, apartments as there are right now. It was not as chaotic as it is right now. And just that walk up the hill, there's a, like a really long hill that side. There's the railway area. There's a big piece of land around that area. And it was just so, it felt so right. It felt so good. And, and we didn't even speak much, to be honest. I don't even remember what we spoke about. But just that feeling of being with him and holding his hand as we walked across the, that, you know, that distance was just so beautiful for me um i always say like for young for young boys and young yeah young boys especially we 
we kind of have this thing where we look up to the men that are older than us and our fathers are number one on that on that list and we admire them so much that we pick everything that we possibly can from them and it could be your dad it could be a superstar uh, for me it was someone like the rock for example <laughs> but my dad was definitely number one and he's just that pillar authoritative figure that he was as much as sometimes he was scary <laughs> in our young age but there's just some sense of togetherness and authority that he had charisma that he also had um, that I really aspired to, you know, to pick some of that. And I used to pick up a lot of habits, definitely the good and the bad. <laughs> so for instance, even something like, as you say, driving, driving uh, the car that he was driving, I literally, my first car was fixing his car, his old car, because that's the car that took me to school, primary school. That's, I saw him driving, that's literally the only car that I was in most of my childhood. You know, him driving me to school, or us going just somewhere together. And I had such an emotional attachment to that car that I had to, I just found it in me to, you know, try and fix it after, this is not too long ago actually, because that was 10 years ago. And he was so happy, he was so proud, you know, he could see that. In I, I guess he saw it also as a way of, of me you know, walking in his shoes and filling up his shoes. Also, another thing is my dad is is very has has amazing leadership qualities that I really admire up until today. You know, he'd be the one in school, he's the chairman. In in church, he's the you know chairman as well. Yeah, just even in, in, in our family at home, he's like he's the he's a kingpin in a way. Like he's the one that everyone goes to for advice. He's the only son actually in his family. So everyone looks up to him. And those are qualities that I really admire and I pick from him. The one time I saw my dad the most broken, like broken, I was actually in shock <laughs> was when my grandfather died, his, his father. And yo, it was, it was like, I remember me and my brother actually looking at him and we were both of us in shock. Like we saw him break down, he was on the floor, he was wailing, he was the loudest crying. And it wasn't for sure, you know, of course, in our, in our community, you know how it is during funerals, um, professional mourners. But it had nothing to do with that because that was his father. And as much as he was he was old already, he was a hundred years actually when he passed on. Um, so you'd expect to be like, ah, you know, it was his time, it's fine, you know, he's gone to a better place. But still, I, we have never seen him break down so, so much. And that showed me a different side of him because they had a really strong connection with, with my grandfather. And I see that he valued that so much. And now I see, or rather I feel how much he values even our relationship. Uh, my relationship with my dad, I would say, went full circle in terms of, you know, the elements of African stereotype dads and new age dads that are present. So in the beginning, it was that African stereotype dad. And maybe how I see it, you know, they, they had their way of bringing us up. And maybe to them, it was maybe you get to a certain age, then I can deal with you as a man, <laughs> man to man. Um, and when you're younger, it's more of fear and you know when they walk in in the house and you guys are watching cartoons and you just hear him so he used to whistle actually coming up the stairs we stayed on third floor of a flat in karimangi south and you could hear him whistle it was like he knew let me at least warn them <laughs> that i'm coming up the stairs so that they can scatter and you just hear him whistle and you're like, okay, that is dad. Like even if the volume is high, you will hear him whistle. And just opens the gate nicely, slowly. So you have to, you have like about two minutes to gather your life quick, quick. And there was a certain fear then. But at the same time, he still had a very interesting connection with us, you know. And I started feeling it when I was younger, definitely before high school. Then in high school, as I'm becoming a teenager, I had this very many unmet needs as a young man. Because you're discovering life now in a different light as a teenager. And the school that I went to, Strathmore, had tutors and mentors. And every student had a mentor that was assigned to a certain teacher. And they would pick you anytime during class, except exam time, of course. And you would open up to them and talk to them about life as a teenager. And you know you're going through so much as a teenager. Of course, now, now that you look back, they're not that serious. But <laughs> then it felt really serious. But at the same time, you want this, that same feeling when you get back home. Your connection with the father is just not to that level. So you feel some sort of distance and you know being misunderstood especially 
as a teenager. And then now full circle again after after high school, uh, I actually remember uh, I actually I sat him down after high school and I told him I would like our relationship to change because uh, I don't want to live in fear anymore. I'm getting into the world and I'd like to have a different relationship with you and see you as a big brother and not as this authoritative figger. And he laughed it off. He didn't know what to say. <laughs> I don't even know if he remembers. But after that, everything changed, to be honest. Everything completely changed. He was more present. Even when I picked up playing the guitar, which was after high school, he was very, very supportive. And this is also knowing that he was very keen on education. But still, he saw that I love the arts so much because at any point in my life, I was involved with something to do with the arts. I was either drawing, I was either painting, either playing the piano for myself, just for fun. And then now I picked up the guitar after high school. So it's something that he had seen from when I was a kid. And then now he's like, maybe I'm old enough and he can support me. And that I saw a different change in that because I did not expect that, to be honest. I, didn't, I, was, I knew that it would be something that was not going to be accepted in that house. But he was very keen on it. In the beginning years of our career, he actually used to be the one to, <laughs> to buy newspapers and anytime we appear, because those days it was big to appear in a newspaper, especially as an upcoming artist. So you see yourself in the newspaper, he has already seen it and he brings the paper home proudly to show you, you know, this is a good job you're doing. And that just changed everything. Man. So growing up, I, I, I always, I felt like I always wanted to have kids. Because not everyone wants to have kids, and I respect that. For me, I always wanted to, I guess because I'm a natural, and I just, I wanted to get to that stage. I'm like, I really want kids. But of course, no pressure. I know I'm young, there's time, it's fine. And how I pictured it, actually, I remember I had a flashback-ish just the other day on a Sunday. Because usually Sundays, I'm, I'm with my son the whole, whole day. And we spend time walking, going around. I take him to the mall and stuff like that. So when I drive with him, just around the estate, that's very safe. Of course, it's not recommended, but I put him on my lap for him to, because now he's, he's, he's one year, two months, and he's holding the, the steering. And remember, this image has been in my head subconsciously for a long, long time, because I remember also being done for this by my dad. And it's something that I've always felt like is so precious. And I don't know, just something that I feel so much in my heart. And when I did that, just... I think it was last week, actually. I just had this flashback and this satisfaction. And, you know, I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I wanted for so long. <laughs> and here it is. And also now, you see, when you fantasize about, not really fantasize, when you dream about having a, a kids, you only think of the happy stuff. <laughs> you know, you don't go through, you don't know how it is to actually have it, you know, that baby. And, and even only parents understand other parents, you know. When it comes to kids, it's very hard to explain, even to my bandmates, just this every small thing that goes on during even just one hour of being with a kid. Like it's so intense, but intense in, a, in an amazing way as well. And these small things, I had not really thought of them. And when I, rather we discovered that we were pregnant, and this was uh, 2019 on Christmas Day. <laughs> we did the test on Christmas Day. I, I already suspected, I was like, they be pregnant. Man, I know your cycle. This time, you're, you're definitely pregnant. She's like, okay, let's just do a test and see. So we did the test and we waited until uh, the evening of Christmas, just to make it special, if we were pregnant, that is, and see the results. And I remember just this gush of, I don't know, happiness and a lot of expectation, anxiety as well, um, that I'm going to be a father. Yeah, it was just, it was a mix of so many emotions, but the overriding emotion was definitely just happiness and feeling this love that I've never felt before for a human being that I've not even met. I don't even know how they look like, but I just feel so much love for them and I'm ready to give the best that I can, I possibly can give to this, to this child, starting from the moment that I have discovered that we are pregnant. So it's not waiting until the baby comes into the world. And that completely changed my outlook on, on parenthood and fatherhood. Also, it kind of gave it a twist that this happened during the pandemic. I mean, yeah, we discovered in 2019, December, but now getting into the groove of fatherhood was now when the pandemic started. And that's when I realized that 
it's a different, everything has changed. Like it's not the life that I knew. Like everything actually in my life as I know it has changed. So all my life, all my adult life, I've known, you know, being in this band, being a musician and traveling and performing. And, you know, that is my life, full 100. Like there's no, there's rarely a weekend that I'm not performing or rarely a month that I'm not outside the country, outside the city. And now this is a situation where we are grounded at home by force. And at the same time, there's this shift also in my life that we are expectant and there's a baby coming. It's crazy, it's like a whirlwind, uh, but at the same time, I felt like it was perfect timing that this, that the pandemic happened during this time that we got pregnant, because now it would help me focus even more in terms of what I can provide for this small family of mine and just be as present as I possibly can and just see how that would turn out. And there's no kind of excuse of me not being there, even if it's work, of course, yeah, work is work, but then, yeah, I was just kind of, a part, big part of me was happy that I, I am here and I am here throughout the whole journey until the baby comes. I've been there now even until it turned one year. We haven't really traveled much, just recently the UK tour and that's it. So I've literally spent all days with him, all Sundays, for example, with him fully. And I really, really appreciate that it happened this way. So the nine months of pregnancy for a dad is very different. And I feel like it's something that even men don't, don't talk to each other about as, as we should, because people seem to think that we are not affected in any way, that everything is just like, yeah, you're just there. Since you're not carrying the baby, just support as much as you can. But yeah, it doesn't affect you as much as people think it actually does. And I'm just trying to tap back into the feelings. So there's this human being that you haven't met, number one, that you can't feel as your wife can feel the baby. You're not interacting. You're literally a stranger to them because they don't, they don't know how you smell. They don't eat your food as they eat their mother's food. They don't listen to your voice as often. Maybe they do, but it's from, I don't know, it's from outside. Maybe the mom's voice is more connected to them. As a man, you feel like you don't have control. Uh, over things that are happening and it can get frustrating because men just want to be in control and make sure that things are happening and be there to help as much as they can but in this situation in case anything happens or you know the body decides whatever it decides to do uh, that's your wife's body or your partner's body it's just it's out of your control you don't know what to do you you, you can't really yeah, you can't help. You can help as much as you can, but you can't like get to a point where you can solve things, you know, um, and that can get frustrating. And now the, the ultimate feeling for a man is when now the baby comes, because this is the first time you're meeting this child while interacting with them. Of course, the mother is also meeting them for the first time, but they've been inside them for this long. And now it's a shift because the mom is kind of used to it. You know, the nine months, even when the baby comes out, I remember when, when Sully was born and the man was like, it feels so weird not being pregnant anymore. <laughs> you know, so she got used to it completely. And now for me, it's like, what? This is, this is, this is, yeah, this is it. This is now, this is a little me. And for me particularly, so we did, we did a home birth uh, at home and her labor was 30 hours. It was quite long. And this is a point where, of course, the, 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 the midwife is there. She's equipped, very well equipped. Everything is fine. She says everything is fine. You just wait, wait, wait until the baby comes. And I wasn't really worried, but I was kind of empathetic in a way to see, you know, my wife going through so much pain. Of course, in between, there's a lot of happiness and laughter and then labor pains. And, you know, it's just a mix of emotions. And it was so long that there was so much tension built inside, inside me, at least, that when the baby came out like this, I just, I let everything out. I could not hold anything back. I was literally on the floor wailing because it's something that was so, you know, so much, so much tension inside that just, I let everything out. But it was such a beautiful feeling. It's not like I'm wailing because of pain. I'm just letting everything out and I'm so happy. I'm elated. I held him to my chest and he just felt like my wife was looking at me like I'm mad. <laughs> Because <laughs> to her, I realized she's kind of, she's gotten used to it. She knows she's expecting, she knows that there's a baby coming. Of course, I know the same, but it's coming out of her body. She's experienced everything. And now I am holding now the baby in my arms for the first time. It's just so, so different, such a different feeling. And people is telling you, you, you don't know what you're going to do. As a man, sometimes that's, that's the point where you will, you know, you're, you're, 
most vulnerable side will come out whether you like it or not and you just let go because it's good to just let loose and let go and it was just it was magical to be honest um d you definitely have a lot of fears and expectations and hopes and dreams when you know you're about to be a father a lot of these things are also influenced or are coming from a point of what you look up to or what you kind of compare to which is your upbringing you you see that as the marking scheme and sometimes you want to maybe instill the same values or like you don't know any other way of doing it unless of course you're interacting with your friends who tell you this this but subconsciously you kind of go back to that so all the negative and all the positive stuff are in there and having a baby makes you so it literally opens you up completely like you just an open wound ready to be <laughs> to be attacked it's 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 so it brings out the best in you brings out also the worst in you you see who you truly are as a man as a human being and there are some things that you need to deal with before you you know embark on raising this this child you have to really go back and see your your downfalls get acquainted with your with your wounds as a man um, embrace them because they're not your fault part of them, most of them are just not your fault and they happen as they happened and accept them and just go through the whole process and say okay i'm gonna put this aside this is what happened it doesn't mean that i have to do the same for my child you know just going through that whole process of of healing because it will make you a better person it will make you a better parent and it's not that you can solve it immediately uh, that you know your son is coming or your, your kid is coming next month he's being born next month and you have a month to sort it out it doesn't happen like that there's still things that you need to sort throughout your life your lifetime but it's just good to to be aware at least and be conscious that i need to just work on myself as a man uh, yeah i definitely had things to heal from yeah this is deep i'll come back to the healing so for example there's there's a way that i see how the universe is right now rather what kids are being exposed to to the world and everything and just what's happening this technology is growing up so fast and kids can be exposed to anything at any time and also trying to have your kids instilled into their culture in a way that they define themselves in the culture that they should know about and not the way the society has put it out so even when it comes to even the school system for example it's very it's still a system that is written so many years ago by people who are not us <laughs> you know and that really gets to me to be honest and it's something that I would like to change for my kids. And it's a fear that I've had for the longest time. And I'm like, how do I get to teach my kids the African way and for them to love and understand and appreciate their culture and grow into it and not just see it as, or see it rather as other cultures as much better or much more lucrative. But at the same time, of course, there's things that you can borrow or you should borrow from other cultures. It doesn't mean that you have to be stick to your own way of doing things but it's just that sense of identity as an african that you need that i feel they need to embrace and it's something that i went through as a young man uh, and i'll give you a, a situation where we are just a young band starting out things are picking up and we've been called for this tour in europe and like oh yeah we're so excited let's go to europe and you step in there and your self-esteem just goes down completely because everything is just so different so developed so feels like everything is so much better than back home so you you have a different look towards home you're like home is not as great as i thought it was and also now as you interact with people there you kind of yeah you you feel inferior you want to uh, introduce yourself as this person who is not as african as you actually are so even when it comes to even your name for example you know of course nothing against people saying their english names but it it for me it was it was in a way trying to escape my africanness by not telling people that my name is Otieno or Ocheng you know it felt so weird even coming from my mouth that i am Ocheng just polycarp you know someone say i'm willis i am delvin and that has a like a ripple effect in so many ways in terms of how you present yourself in your confidence and with time we realize that it is so important to actually embrace and be confident in your africanness 
And I guess it was a lot of traveling that did that for us. And not many people get to that, to that stage. All of this is also influenced by education system in the country that I feel needs to change a lot, a lot. And that's one big fear that I had just before I got, I got my son. And even just naming him Sulwe, it's intentional, you know, it's to tell him that this is an African name that, that has a meaning. Because, you know, also we name uh, people according to, like every name has a meaning has a very deep meaning in, in the African society, in all different tribes. And just all these small things just put together now make this very strong, confident African young man. Honestly, the biggest, the biggest, the biggest gap that, I've, that I felt is, is just that connection with my father. Because as, as I said before, as a young boy, that's the number one person that you look up to, number one person that you respect, that you adore, that you admire, that you want to be with all the time, that you want to be like even. And I had that missing for the fundamental years of my life. Of course, I've come to terms with it and we've resolved it. But then it's something that I'd want to really connect as much as I can with my son. Um, starting from as soon as he was born, you know, to be there. Because sometimes as men, you'd see it as a stage where they're very, the kids are more dependent on the mother or fully dependent on the mother than they are to you. So you step back and also society also makes you step back as a man. And even sometimes your wife can tell you, no, why are you doing that? You know, or don't do this or leave, bring, leave my child. You know, they just, there's some attachment that they have that they don't want, not in a bad way, but it's just, I guess it's instinct as well and subconsciously. So as a man, you kind of have to, if you want to be intentionally present, then you have to, yeah, you have to just to do it intentionally and just make sure that you do things as you deem fit and just step out of your comfort zone and be as present as you possibly can. And this, of course, involves washing the baby, changing diapers, feeding the baby, all these things. Like, just think of it as if you are the mother without boobs <laughs> to give to give milk to the baby. Yeah, and it's it's a lot of fun, to be honest. It's so enjoyable. I love every minute of doing it. And it also makes you be so present in the moment, which is something we don't do as much as human beings. You know, when you're with a child, they have no thoughts. They have no scenes. They're just there with you present and they're giving you full attention. So if you give them back full attention and you're not thinking of tomorrow's work, you're not thinking of, oh, I need to leave or something like that, and you give them full attention and it's so fulfilling and it just makes you so, so happy. A lot of things changed in our relationship when it came to the baby coming and it's all positive and negative. I'm well, not really negative, I don't say negative, but just changes. <laughs> Let me say as changes and challenges. Let me put them as challenges. And it's unique to every relationship. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't even advise someone, this is what works for us. I just tell them this is what works for us. So this is what doesn't work for us. You find a way to, you know, make it work for you. So the, the nine months of pregnancy, for example, was just, was so smooth and so amazing for us. And I've never seen my wife happier than she was during this time, for example. Like I've never seen her happier than that. Number two, her pain threshold was very low, very low, like she would not even be pinched. And for her to make the decision to do a home birth, which is something that people see as very, you know, brave, but it really, it's really, honestly, it's the same. It's even more comfortable be doing a home birth. But of course, now the, the mental state of accepting and saying, okay, I'm going to go through this. In the beginning, for example, she was already making the decision of doing, of having an epidural or doing a CS, like a scheduled uh, CS, which I have nothing against. And I respected everything that she wanted to do. And she just got, went through the journey by herself. And I saw this very different human being that just grew into someone that was very strong and very uh, strong-willed to make the decision for herself and say this is what I want to do. It's changed her outlook in life so so much and of course that also affects us positively as, as a couple. I've seen that morph into something very beautiful even into the person she is now. And then of course now there are things <laughs> I even make fun of this as, as men for example because as I'm expecting a child I want to go to a man to ask him, what do I expect? You know, how is it going to be? Because uh, it's different for men and for women. And since men don't talk that much, most of them will just tell me, hey, bro, you're not going to sleep. You're not going to sleep. And that will be just the main thing. But then nobody tells you also that the woman, your, your wife, may not be ready to engage, for example, in intimacy until they're ready, ready. And that may take a while. And you need to come to terms with it. And as a man, you may not understand what the woman is going through. You know, with, with a lot of toxic masculinity, you may be like, ah, 
you know, Kwani, what's 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 see the baby's here. So what's what's stopping you from you know, for us, from us getting intimate. And that's something that you also have to go through as a couple and talk about and just be very open and say, okay, I'm at this stage and I'm not ready or I'll be ready at this time and just get to a point where you come to a compromise, whatever that is in your relationship because every relationship is unique. So that is something that we had to go through um, and also now consciously trying to create time for, <laughs> for each other because the relationship in a way suffers but you have to consciously make it work. Of course, in the first few months, all of you are concentrating on the baby. That is also very, very beautiful in its own way because you're all focusing on this child and you're together in it and you're both raising this child and it's just so much happiness and it's great as it is. And then you realize also that you still also need to go back to the two of you as boyfriend and girlfriend, not even as husband and wife, if you're married. And that takes, takes a while, man. It takes a while. It has to be very intentional, very conscious, and you have to sit down and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Let's try and do this. Um, just look out for each other, you know, because it's very easy also for you to forget about each other. Just ask, how are you doing? How are you doing mentally? Are you in a good place? Uh, how did you sleep last night? This is very kawaii easy question that we take for granted. And sometimes you just want to be asked. And even if you didn't sleep well, they're like, yeah, it was a horrible night. And you just feel nice that you said it. It's something that you definitely need to work on as, as a couple. There's no specific way of doing things, but it does affect you in ways that you need to work on together. So the term father studies is actually a pun. I, I do a lot of puns if, if you know me well. <laughs> so father studies is a pun that I came up with when I was on paternity leave. I started in August 15th, I remember, was my wife's birthday. She was due a week after that, but she, she, she gave birth three weeks after. So I started my paternity leave then. And the office, I mean, I am a boss in the office, but everyone was just like, you know, my, former, my fellow bosses rather, were like, listen, you can take as much time as you possibly need. You're the first person amongst us to, to get a baby. We don't know how it is. <laughs> None of us has an experience, so you take your time. We'll hold the fort, don't worry. And when you're ready to come, you can come. Even if it's half day, if it's a few hours in the day, it's cool. And I realized the impact of just being on leave at that time, just how impactful it is in terms of the help, even that my wife needs once the baby is there. It is so sad that the law only gives, I think, two weeks or three weeks for paternity leave uh, for the dads. And it's just... It's not enough, man. It's not enough at all. Even three months for the mother is not enough. That's when the impact started. I was like, this, this needs to be more than this. I can see how much help that I'm giving, even with the nanny present, just as the father. There's so much that you, you should be doing in the house. And now as, as, as now the baby grows older, you know, many other things come into play. And just my, our connection was now growing very strong just between me and him. I could feel it. I could, I could see it. And that's now made me, as now we are embarking on our alone together journey and we're all supposed to make projects uh, that are individual projects. Initially, I had a different plan. So my plan was as a producer, as a mix engineer, as a guitarist, I'll just get, do this kind of album, kind of like Carlos Santana album where he doesn't sing but he's invited all these musicians and, and artists and he's the director of everything and that's it's still his music so that was the direction initially and I was like I feel like my purpose is much bigger than this to be honest and I could also tell from even the small videos that I was posting on, on IG of me chilling with my son and I didn't see it as anything different to be honest I just was being myself and I'd post a video of us feeding together, me singing to him. And the kind of response that I got was very, yeah, it was just very interesting how many young men even were sending me messages saying, man, I'd love to be a father like you. I never had this uh, with my dad. Other women saying, wow, this is amazing. You know, fathers are never really present during this time. Like I didn't even think this is possible. And this is just a simple video. You know, it's not, I'm not even exposing my whole life out there. And that made me really think deep. Now decide to focus the project on fatherhood. I dug deeper. I had to read a lot of books but uh, uh, pertaining fatherhood. I had to dig deep into my own raising, uh, how my dad raised me. Uh, I had to talk to a lot of friends or with kids. And as I'm writing these songs now, again, I did not intend to sing myself because I don't see myself as a singer. I'm a full-on musician, but I don't see myself. I mean, standing next to 
singers like Pian Savara and Chimano, I'm really not a singer, to be honest. <laughs> but I'm a musician, full-on full musician, and that's my role. And now as I'm writing these songs, so first of all, I'm getting into writing, which is something that I used to do a long time ago, outside music, as, as, a, as a poet in, in high school and in primary school. And now I'm getting to a point where now I'm writing because it's coming from my heart, and I'm the one who understands what I need to bring out. And as I'm writing the songs, I'm like, okay, so this, this girl is going to sing this, this one, Ben Sol is going to sing, this one, Chiman is going to sing. As now we are now coming together to now help each other with the projects, I present some of the songs that I've recorded at home or I just play and I'm like, okay, so Chimano, this is what you're going to sing. So I play the song and then I'm like, bro, imagine you just have to do it. <laughs> because, and I realize it's so, and I'm like, yeah, you're right, because it's very personal. And also there are so many angles to it. And one of them, the main one is vulnerability as a man. Me singing to Sulwe, my son, because the whole album is dedicated to him. And missing into him is a way of showing just this unconditional love and vulnerability that also so shows so much strength in a man. It's not just, it's not weakness. Even when you're putting your baby down, some men would feel very awkward singing to, your, to their baby. You know, they feel like it's something that's, you know, that's weak and it's not manly, as society would put it. So it just brought out a very different side of me. And I was like, yeah, I, I think I should be the one to do it. I can sing on key. <laughs> that's what matters. Of course, now I had to get into the groove of singing and, and do some vocal classes and, you know, just get into it properly. But it's something that I've obviously wanted to do and I've done a lot of, even our songs doing backups while I'm mixing that people don't know, but that's my role and I love it as is like that. Yeah, so that's just a sign of showing vulnerability to my son. That just these pillars also of the project that I am pushing. So there's Pan-Africanism, which we've spoken a lot about, that's in the music. There's um, unlearning uh, and learning of, of parenthood. So what you need to unlearn and also the new things that you need to learn as a parent. There's breaking stereotypes uh, that society has set, set on us, that we as a society, in this actually very patriarchal society that's, you know, sadly very patriarchal, is is to break those stereotypes that these are the roles of a man, these are the roles of a woman, and it, it should stay that way. It doesn't matter, you know, your, your, your relationship or your setting or just this is what you're supposed to do or a man should not do this. Also just vulnerability and wellness in general, just mental wellness uh, for men. Because again, we don't speak about these things as men. We don't speak to each other, um, yet we go through a lot. And as a man, when you, when you get a child, there's a serious mind shift where you want to provide as much as you can. You work crazy hours. Sometimes you feel like you're not doing, you're not at your level best. You're not delivering as you should. You feel inferior and you just need to your fellow men to bring you up you know and as you talk to each other you just get into these discussions where you feel you get into these spaces where you feel safe to talk about these, these things and you know just find as much help as you can from your fellow men i've been writing this music since the first song that i wrote that this is actually before i decided to do the album because there's now, we got into a routine where I used to pick him in the morning when he wakes up because it got to a point now he didn't want me to take him back to sleep, which means my wife got all the, the madness at night because he only wants to sleep on the boob. And now when it comes to morning, he wakes up at six, my wife is so tired. So I pick him up and even though I've also been awake at night, but I pick him up and we just jam in the morning as we wait to, you know, have breakfast or just chill in the morning until mom gets enough rest. And during that time, I would either sing for him. This is now before he's walking. So this is three months. So I'd sing for him uh, in the morning and just chill, I'd just talk to him. Just, yeah, just be with him. The first song that I wrote at that time was actually the lullaby. It's called La La Land. And I didn't know that it was going to be a project. I just picked up the guitar and I was like, I'd like to sing a lullaby to him or write something. And so I started writing. I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And then I saved it on my voice notes on the phone. I, so me playing for him also, he, his reception to music it has been quite interesting since those days. He loves music. Every time he hears something, I play the guitar, he just does his head like this. <laughs> so I could see the reaction. I could see that he loves the music. And now that now we've, the album is done, completed, and there's even a video that he's in, that we, that's my first single, How I Met Your Mama. Right now, when he's fussy, I play that song like this. He hears the cock crow. He's like, what is that? 
and then he knows he sees the whole video it's a five minute long video he sees the whole video he's interested he sees now he sees himself he sees toto <laughs> he sees me he says baba and then he looks at me he says baba he can see his mom so that's something that now he loves he already knows the song we use it as a distraction <laughs> when he's fussy of course he doesn't understand the music right now or what it's about uh but in general he loves music and i just pray that in future what i always say is even the reason I'm singing, it's to him. I honestly don't care how I sound. If it's horrible, I mean, I don't sound horrible for sure, but I try and sound as the best I can, but then it's mainly for him to understand the depth of the whole project that I'm doing it for him. And when he's older and he's maybe being a rebel, being reckless, or whatever it is, going through life as a young man, that he would have instances where he would get something from the album and it would spark something in him and make him feel loved, make him feel a sense of belonging, and make him feel that I am I am really, really loved and I have a bigger purpose in life. So that's that's the intention. That's that's my gift to him. As I, I'm an artist, so that's the best gift that I can give to him. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. Wasn't that super insightful honestly when i recorded the story and even just like producing it it just made me really think about relationships between african dads and their sons and how void of emotions they are and we joke about african dads they are coming from a place possibly of trauma you know what i mean and like passing that cycle on to their sons so like how do we intentionally change that and that's also something that I thought about while working on this story, like producing it. It's just like the intentionality that comes with parenting. I go back and forth with the decision as to whether I want to ever have kids. I was so focused on like the financial bit and just being like, okay, I need six years. This is what I need to do. These are the income streams I need to to get together and that's important right but I also feel like there's an intentionality beyond finances that is needed obviously I'm not a parent so I'm speaking on this on the outside looking in and having been a child <laughs> you know before you make that decision many things that you need to take into consideration but one of the top needs to be are you healed enough to be a parent I think that's where you start to break the cycle of trauma and the cycle of abuse and the cycle of home not being a safe space. So those are just my two scenes. If you want to share your story on this podcast, all you have to do is in the show notes, there is a link to the Google form. Fill it out and we're going to get back to you. In fact, we sent out a bunch of emails last week to people who'd signed up. So if you had Signed up to share your story. You need to check your email because we have definitely sent you an email. Another thing you need to remember is that you can catch Legally Clueless on Trace FM here in Kenya. Just go to traceradio.co.ke. We're there on Mondays and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. and 11 p.m. and Fridays at 1 p.m. Don't forget to sign up to join our community. LegallyCluelessAfrica.com is where it's at. A second letter from me is coming your way this week. I know I've taken a while, but like the letter explains it all. Let me tell you. <laughs> it's in the letter. I'm talking about it like it's like a love letter. No, but seriously, the letter explains everything. Yeah, thank you so much for listening to this episode to the very end. I do wish you a week full of nothing but grace. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.